Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Today on Words of Grace, we're going to play for you part two of a message that we recently delivered at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church entitled, A Continual Prayer Vigil, from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Last week, as we shared part one of this message, we emphasized the fact that when the world descends into chaos, when scary things happen in the world around us, things such as what's happening right now in Europe, Christians are not helpless. But quite the contrary, they have a direct line of communication to the king of all creation, the God of the universe. And so when things around us become terrifying, we can always hit our knees and pray And we know that we have not because we ask not, and the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, so prayer impacts the world around us for the better. We described Christianity as one continual prayer vigil, as those who know and love the Lord beg Him for His intercession at all times around the world. Put another way, there's always someone praying to God. In fact, there are always many, many people praying to God, and this has a positive effect on human life. Today we want to emphasize the crucial importance of prayer, how we are to watch and pray, pray always and never to faint, to pray without ceasing, especially in times of calamity and uncertainty. We'll end the message today with points regarding the benefits of the prayers of the saints in society in general, how our prayers have an effect on the saints themselves, and lastly, how prayer benefits us personally. Here's part two of A Continual Prayer Vigil. And as we begin to think about the great threats that we see around us in the world today, When calamity strikes, and by the way, calamity will strike. What did Jesus teach in the uh, Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25? Before his coming, there will be what and rumors of what? Wars and rumors of wars. Another thing he says, earthquakes, floods, famines, pandemics, because we live in a sin-cursed world. This is why I believe that, well, I say I don't talk about politics. It's why you need the right to defend yourself. That's why you need the right to defend yourself. There will never be a utopia because government and police are so strong that there are not wicked people that can't hurt you. You need the right to defend yourself because evil people do evil things, and you are their target. Nothing demonstrates that more than an invading military, right? When calamity strikes, our response before any other action should be immediately to prayer. We go to prayer. We go to God and we pray. We beg Him, we beseech Him, we petition Him. Believers respond to trouble with prayer. I want to demonstrate this from just a few passages. And I said this is one we're going to hit a lot of examples and move quickly. Every one of these examples could be a sermon in and of itself. When John the Baptist was murdered by Herod, why was John the Baptist murdered by Herod? John had been in prison because he went before Herod and told him it was unlawful to have his brother's wife. Now, there were many Herods. There was Herod the Great, then you have the Tetrarchs, and you have all of these different men who were a part of this family. 
Idumeans. John the Baptist goes before him and he tells him, it's not lawful for you to have this woman that you have taken from your brother to be your wife. And he imprisons him. He would have killed him, but he feared the people because they counted him a prophet. And so his wife now gets her daughter to provocatively dance for him so that he will fall for her so he can say, I'll give you whatever you want. And so she asks for John the Baptist's head in a box. I want you to kill this man of God. I don't like what he said. By the way, if you want to know what the role of the pastor is in government, there it is. When they are in sin and they have violated God's law, to stand before them, look them in the eye and say, you are wrong. We don't waste our time talking about issues that don't have to do with that morality in the ministry. But when there's an issue like abortion or redefining marriage or murdering people who are innocent, we look them in the eye and we say, this is sin. And we do unapologetically, standing on the Word of God and the power of God through the Holy Spirit. It is sin, it is wrong, and we declare it as such. John the Baptist is beheaded for this. The disciples came and took the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. Now, you might wonder, why does Jesus go after the death of his cousin, his forerunner, the voice crying in the wilderness who prepared the way of the Lord, a man that he said is among women, there's never been born one greater, the man who baptized him. When this happens, Jesus goes to a desert place apart. Why does Jesus do that? We don't get the answer until a few verses later. As Jesus goes to the mountain place apart, what happens so often in his ministry happens again. As he went forth, he saw a great multitude, and he's moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. He's going to be alone for a reason, and he's interrupted by ministering to people. But even in this moment of calamity... Jesus doesn't turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to them. He ministers to them. He has compassion on them because many of his children are in this group. They're coming to him wanting food and healing. And so oftentimes these multitudes are absolutely full of his sheep and he loves them and he cares for them. This continues. You have the loaves and the fishes. He feeds them. They ate. All of this ends Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him to the other side. Conjecture, everywhere these men go, people see, they know who they are, they know that Jesus is with them. Jesus sends the twelve off in a ship, but Jesus goes alone. Jesus, when he had sent the multitudes away, listen to what he did, went up into a mountain apart to pray. This is God incarnate in a moment of calamity. When a person he loved had been murdered for being faithful to the Word of God, and Jesus goes into a mountain alone to pray. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate, the Word made flesh, went into solitude to pray to God, don't you think in moments of calamity we need to hit our knees and pray as the first response and not the last-ditch effort? We need to pray. When things in this world fly out of control, you and I need to stop. We need to pray. In the book of Acts chapter 12, the apostle Peter is arrested. James, the brother of John, is beheaded by one of these Herods, 
Again, there were many men named Herod. Some in the Bible are given by their name, not the word Herod. Herod stretches forth his hand to vex the church. He kills James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Peter's arrested, but you know, God miraculously intervenes, releases Peter. Peter goes on his way. In Acts chapter 12 and verse 12, when he had considered the thing, Peter that is, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. He knocks on the door. And you know what they say? It's, it's got to be an angel or a spirit or something because he's in jail. How can it be? They don't believe the poor woman that answers the door. And she doesn't open it to let him in. It's actually kind of funny if you think about it. But notice what the church is doing. One of the most regarded ministers, one of the original 12, has been arrested. And what the church does in response is to gather and pray. Now, we send prayer requests all week. You know, if something happens, we sent one out a couple of days ago. If something happens, we give a prayer request digitally. You get it in your phone, bleep, 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 smartphone. Okay, I've got an email from this side of the world. Because we live in this instant communication age, but there's something special when the church comes together. Collective prayer special. We were talking about it in a preacher group the other day. In Acts 4, when the apostles come together after their first dose of persecution, collectively they pray and God shakes the earth to let them know that He had heard them. An earthquake in response to prayer. The church is to collectively pray. Individual prayer we must do. But collective prayer is a tool that we have as well. Our first response is to petition God as we've emphasized. Why is that? Two statements from James. First of all, we have not because we ask not. That means that there are things that we could have individually as a church or as a society that we do not have because we simply fail to ask. We can see this in the lives of people after David sinned with Bathsheba, God makes a statement, what I had not have given you other things that you even wanted. And you've gone and stolen a man's you lamb, as it were. God is pleased to give His children things when they ask. He would make the statement, Jesus, in His ministry, which one of you fathers, when your child asks for an egg, gives him a scorpion? No. God is pleased to give what His children ask for. If it be in accordance with His will, now if I say, God, I really want a million dollars in a Ferrari, He's probably going to say, Son, you don't need a million dollars in a Ferrari. But there's a lot of things in this world that I can pray for, and if it's in accord with God's will, God will answer and He will give. Whatever we ask in His Son's name, which is why we end our prayers with in Jesus' name, amen. We have not because we ask not, and at the same time, The flip side of that coin, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We know that when we pray, what we pray for avails much because God hears and God answers our prayers. Now, there are three senses that I want to apply this, the benefits of praying, the reason that we pray. As we have not because we ask not, and the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I want to begin at the macro and go to the micro. What we mean by that is we want to take a zoomed out approach and look at God's 
blessing of prayer. Prayer doesn't work. Please hear me out because prayer is magic, okay? These aren't spells. These aren't incantations. You don't have inherent power in you to think positive thoughts and vibes and impact the world around you. You see that on social media a lot. I'm sending positive vibes. doesn't do anything. Prayer works because there's a God who hears and a God who answers. That's why prayer works. First of all, since number one, the prayers of the saints benefit society in general. Society is better because God's people pray. In the book of Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus begins to, and this is his first sermon in, in Matthew's gospel, as he begins to speak about the importance of the church in the world, what does he tell them? You're the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth. That's very specific language, and the people of that day knew exactly what he referred to. We give light as we illuminate, as we teach the word, but we're also the salt of the earth. Salt in that day is a preservative. Now, it's a flavor. You're the savor, the flavor of this world. You're what makes it a beautiful place in the eyes of God. What a thought is that? But salt was a preservative. And interestingly enough, if it was good for nothing, if it had lost its savor, if it wasn't salt worth keeping, the Romans would use it to line the roads so that the weeds would die and people could pass on the roads. I saw a funny meme the other day. It had a picture of a road in Rome today. It had a picture of a road in Georgia today. And the road in Rome looked better than the road in Georgia. And I thought, boy, that's so true, isn't it? Salt was used to kill the weeds and to maintain the roads. But as a preservative, salt is packed around meat, and it keeps the meat from rotting away. You keep human culture from rotting into the depravity, into the filth and the decadence that it could devolve into without your presence and without your prayers. The church is described as salt because... There's a preserving effect that saints have on society when they beg God in their prayers. Now, this is obviously true collectively. Do you remember in the book of Exodus when the children of Israel were being afflicted by Pharaoh? And God, when he speaks to Moses, he says, their cries have come up before me in heaven. There's a collective calling out to God, which is by definition prayer, that the children of Israel were engaged in. They're praying to God, and God hears. Does he hear that day? Well, he heard, but did he answer that day? No, he didn't answer that day. He didn't answer that week. He didn't answer that month, and he did not answer that year. But in his time, according to his will, when the fullness of the time was come, as it were, he heard, he intervened, he delivered, and he judged. And we find that pattern throughout human history. Today is no exception. Prayer is not an instant remedy to the problems that we face. This is true collectively, when people collectively come, but it's also true individually. The book of James chapter 5. James says a lot about prayer. I would encourage you to read it in your time this week. James chapter 5, verse 17, Elias or Elijah, 
was a man subject to like passions as are we. We look at the saints of the Old Testament as super saints, superheroes with abilities and morale that we don't have, and that's not true. He was subject to like passions as are we. He was a man, just like we're men. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. One man's prayer, and God withheld rain for three and a half years as a judgment upon King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel, who caused God's people to sin and afflicted the true prophets of God. Read the story of Elijah while you're at it with your homework. Elijah was a man subject to like passions like we are. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not. The prayers of the saints benefit society in general, whether collectively or individually. And lastly, concerning the benefits of prayer in society, and this is probably one of the most important things that I'm going to tell you today, so pay attention, please, and put this in your heart. Bury this word in your mind. When a Christian prays for their leaders, which is a command and a duty and obligation to God, praying has a real effect on our leaders. And this effect works for the benefit of all of us. I complain a lot about elected officials. I know I'm alone in that, right? If I devoted the words that I have said in complaint about every one of the last few presidents, if I had devoted those same words to prayer, what might it have been? Sort of the most tragic concepts to think on as a thought experiment. What might have been? What could have been? Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, that is all types of men, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. What is it that we are to pray for? That they would have wise decision-making. That God would open their eyes to His Word and His sovereignty and His will in this world. That He would break their hearts. That He would expose their own sinfulness before Him in their eyes and cause them to hit their knees in humility and to cry out unto Him for wisdom and instruction You get a man in office in any country at any time that fears God and sees himself for what he is, and you'll have a man that's a blessing to that people. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. We pray for kings and all that are in authority, for police officers, for city councilmen, for commissioners, for mayors, for governors, for representatives and senators, for vice president and for president. We pray for them that they would know what is right and know what is wrong so that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. Pray that God would knock him to his knees. And by him, I mean any of them, any of them, all of them. We have this role and responsibility in human society to pray for those in authority 
so that God's children can live a quiet and peaceable life. What's God's will for your life? We, we think it's grandeur, right? To be the Superman, the hero, to sign up for elaborate trips and turn the world upside down, as it were. I love to point out, mamas, God's will for your life is to be a good mama, living a quiet and peaceable life at home. Husbands, to love your wife and love your kids, to be the servant of Christ into your home, to, to be the master or the servant that you ought to be, whether employee or employer, to be a good, godly, quiet, peaceable person wherever it is that God has planted you in this world. And praise God it's here because there's no place I'd rather be. And as we do that, we have a salt effect on human society. Number two, going from macro to micro, as Christians pray, our prayers have an effect on the saints. I want to set you on fire with prayer. As we pray, we can pray for the personal growth of every single person who worships with us here at Flint River. Do you realize we can pray for one another's growth? Have you grown since you've been here? Have you learned things you did not know? I hope you've grown today. If I thought I was merely telling you something you already knew, I'd go somewhere else. But I hope that you've learned something, that you've been exhorted to good works. We pray for your personal growth. So many times my Mondays I start with, Lord, be with the people of Flint River this week. Help them to be disciples today and disciples this week. Deliver them from the evil. Keep them in your name, I pray, and amen. I pray for you. I pray for you. I pray for you. We pray for personal growth. We pray for healing from sickness. And we had one surgery this week and other news that we've learned off from some health issues and we've prayed for that. There are long-standing health issues that we pray for regularly. There are family members and friends that are in your circle of life that we pray for. We pray for your health. And how many times have we seen God answer and bless with healing from cancers and strokes and heart problems and other illnesses? I want you to think about what would have happened if nobody prayed. If we have not because we ask not, and the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, what would have happened if we had not prayed? Well, maybe God would have been merciful, but maybe not. Maybe He wouldn't have been because no one asked Him to be. No one asked Him to intervene. Don't you tremble at that thought from the problems that we've seen in the health sense here in our congregation? But because you prayed, God heard, God answered, God intervened, to God be all the glory and the honor and the praise. We pray, as we'll see next week, for open doors to evangelize and share God's Word. We pray for opportunities to minister, and God blesses them as the saints with opportunities to minister. Lastly, regarding the benefits of prayer, bringing it to the micro, prayer benefits us personally. Both of these points from Matthew chapter 6 and the model prayer. What does Jesus say? How does He teach us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. As we pray to God, God hears and He blesses us individually and personally with our needs. Lord, I need a job. I pray to you for a job. God blesses with the job. Lord, I pray for a spouse. God blesses with the spouse. God, I pray for 
clarity on this issue. God blesses with clarity on this issue. Our individual needs are met. Number two, and I close with this on purpose. We pray to God and He delivers us from evil individually. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That evil can be taken in two senses. First of all, personal sin and opportunities to do that which is folly, sinful, displeasing to the Lord. But so many times in Scripture, the word evil communicates the idea of calamity. Dear God, deliver us from calamity. Deliver us from global conflict. Deliver our children from going to war to fight. Deliver people who are being attacked by madmen wherever they are. Deliver us from the wickedness that we engage in as a country. Deliver us from the judgment that I know that we deserve in America. Deliver us, Lord, as your people from evil. As our world stands on the brink of war and unthinkable death flaring up at any moment with the slightest spark, our responsibility as followers of Christ, what can I do? Our responsibility is to pray. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, Lord, today in the midst of trouble and uncertainty, and it seems like those words have been on our tongues for now more than two years We know, Lord, that this is par for the course in a sin-cursed world, and if we had periods of decades of ease and peace and prosperity, we know that that is an enigma in human history because we live in a world marred by sin, cursed by depravity and suffering and sickness and death and murder and assault and war and abuse. Lord, we long for a day when we're delivered from this present evil world to be with you in glory where there will be no more calamity, there will be no more destruction, there will be no more war. The final war will be ended by you as you send all of your enemies, as it were, into the lake of fire, as they're cast away from your presence forever to be judged for what they've done. But Lord, we know that we live here and we see things that struggle, that cause us to struggle with fear and uncertainty now. And so, Father, we pray for our president, we pray for our Congress. We pray for the representatives and the senators who have the the right to declare war legally in our country. We pray for the president of all of the free countries of the world that are now on the verge of making a decision as to the interaction over this troubling situation in Europe even at present. We pray that you give them wisdom and discernment to know what to do. May we never shy away from standing up for that which is right, but might we always look for the opportunity for peace. And so we pray for the hearts of those leaders that would desire war, that you humble them and break their heart, cause them to desire to live peacefully with their fellow man and not to afflict. We don't understand everything that happens in this world. We are no experts on this. We are not able to handle the omniscience that you have. It is too great for us to know. But Lord, you know. Your eyes behold. You know why things happen. 
And Lord, according to thy will, thou knowest what ought to happen. And so, Father, we pray that you intervene, grant wisdom and discernment and deliverance. Forgive us of our sins, we pray, and we say together, amen. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to... Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.